Hello and welcome to episode number 172 of the DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books and with me today is Amanda, also of Smart Bitches Trashy Books. Amanda reached out to me because she had an idea for a podcast to discuss the differences between depictions of heroines with sexual agency and romance and her own experiences with her own agency. Please be aware, this is so not safe for work. Put on headphones. Like seriously. So many headphones. All the headphones. We talk about Tinder, romance fiction, the distance between sexual goals and romantic goals, compartmentalizing sex and intimacy, and saying yes to new experiences. Plus, we question whether indeed we do want to have figgy pudding. This podcast is brought to you by New American Library, publisher of Misconduct, the sexy new contemporary romance by New York Times bestselling author Penelope Douglas, on sale now. The podcast transcript this month was sponsored by Renee Adie, author of The Wrath and the Dawn, published by G.P. Putnam Sons Books for Young Readers, and available in print and ebook. This sumptuous and enthralling retelling of A Thousand and One Nights will transport you to a land of golden sand and forbidden romance. She came for revenge. Will she stay for love? And if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, I would totally like to sponsor an episode, or a month's worth of episodes, or the transcript, or both, you should totally email me. Sarah at SmartBitchesTrashyBooks.com. I would love to hear from you. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater, and as always, I will have information in the podcast entry as to who this is, though I bet you already know, along with links to the books that we discussed during this episode. And now, without any further delay, on with the podcast. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Good morning. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> All right. Aside from the the drumming that was happening earlier, <sighs> these people fine. sound like unmitigated <laughs> dick bags. They're like little babies. They're either still in undergrad or fresh out of undergrad. They didn't even know how to pay their utilities when they first moved in. Oh, they, they thought God. that like it would just naturally happen. They like we got a text message and they asked what the password was to log into the utility account. Huh. And I'm like, you need to get that in your name. We turned off the utilities, so we stopped paying for them. So they, they had no idea that they had to get the utilities in their own name oh, and pay for it. Oh, dear God. They're just little babies that don't know anything about the world. And now <laughs> one of them has a drum set. Apparently. Because that's just what you want, assholes with drums. <laughs> I know. But I, there's nothing I can do, I guess. They're just awful, and we try to avoid them as much as possible. Yep. And you're just going to have to uh, you're just gonna have to continue to adult and hope that they figure it out. I know. I texted my roommate about the drums. I was like, so apparently there are drums upstairs now. She's like, I will complain. It's like, I will call the cops. <laughs> <laughs> She's not joking around. She, she's got this weird, like, upstairs room. You go, and she girl. can hear everything. It's awful. <sighs> all right. So you had an idea for a podcast all about the sex. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm a highly sexed woman. Sarah. Well, you and Kalik from uh, the, the Playboy Chic and the Virgin Stable Girl. You and Kalik are both highly sexed individuals. Yeah. Whereas, you know, he causes the, the weeping and adoration of women wherever he goes. You just go on Tinder and have a good time. Yeah. I mean, that's what my life is all about. <laughs> but you you were looking at the difference between real life 
and the romantic ideal. And you think oh, there's yeah. like a big distance there. There is. I mean, I wouldn't describe any of my interactions with my Tinder dates as romantic necessarily. Now, for anyone who's not familiar with Tinder, because <laughs> someone may be listening and thinking, what's a Tinder? What's a Tinder? <laughs> so uh, Tinder is an app on your phone. And there's some conflict on whether it's a dating app or a hookup app. It's kind of whatever you make of it. I've, you know, gone on dates and I've used it for hooking up. So it depends. Um, and it is linked to your Facebook, but that's only to show, uh, like, if you have mutual friends in common and you use pictures from your Facebook for your profile. So you pick five or six pictures. You write, like, a little profile blurb if you want most dudes do not they just take a picture of themselves at the gym and that's essentially their entire profile and you go through and if you like they look like that all the time yeah i generally walk around in a pair of shorts they're either holding holding a dumbbell they're either holding a fish or they're (laughs) selfie (laughs) the only two pictures so if romance covers depicted tinder it would be a bunch of shirtless guys holding a fish, or in the gym. Yeah. No, that's it. That's it. And if you like them, you'll swipe right. If you don't like them, you'll swipe left. And if the person has also swiped right, so given you like a thumbs up, on your end, you'll match and you'll be able to chat to each other. So swiping right is basically saying, yeah, I'd hit that. Yes, exactly. And I told my mom about this and I explained it to her. And her response was, oh, I think I saw that on an episode of SVU one time. (gasps) Of course you did. don't compare this dating app to Law & Order SVU. Of course she did because somebody (laughs) ended up dead and it was probably the girl. Yeah, no, that's exactly what happened. So... But my mom gets a kick out of it, actually. I call her and I talk to her about it. Usually my dad's in the background pitching a fit because he doesn't want to hear any of this. (laughs) (laughs) But that's essentially Tinder in a nutshell. I mean, I haven't seen many dating apps brought up in romance. I'm sure, you know, there are a few contemporaries out there that talk about online dating. There are a few and sometimes people get hooked up or, you know, somebody builds them a profile and doesn't tell them and all of a sudden they have all this email. That's happened a few times. I would not trust my friends with building my own profile. No, I I think that just, I think that leads to disaster. (laughs) I also think that it is, it is sometimes less common. I'm trying to think through everything that I've read in the past few years, which is why I'm speaking slowly because it's a lot of books, but (laughs) it is not quite common that I will find a heroine who says yeah I really want to meet a guy and get married and have kids yeah like I would really like to match up with somebody where is my person I want to find my person there are a few Kristen Higgins heroines who were like no I would really like to find a person I'm going to marry and settle down and have a family that's what I want I just can't find that person but there's the I don't have time for a relationship I'm I don't have time for complications I'm focused on my career that mm-hmm. I, I see that heroin a lot. And I see the guy saying, no, I, I really want to, you know, settle down and raise a family and I want to find my person. And, you know, no one understands me because I'm in touch with my emotions. And it's it's a, it's a type of emotional fluency and relationship goal that is very oddly presented in romance a lot of the time. I mean, I have that goal. I would like that to happen eventually. But part of the reason why I you know, 
took the leap into dating apps or whatever is because I was I was super busy during grad school. We had grad classes from six to ten o'clock at night, right? Which was miserable. I had a full time job or an internship. I was doing stuff for Smart Pitches. I was doing freelance writing for Book Riot. Like I had no time to go out and try to find members of the opposite sex. And if I did go out, like I wanted to spend time with my friends and socialize and not worry about getting picked up by a dude. So I was just kind of like expediting the process. By but also it. compartmentalizing it. Like I, I wish for my hooking up to happen in this context. I don't want to get dressed up so that some guy will hit on me when I want to go out with my friends. Oh yeah. It's very like, it's at least my experiences, what I've made of it have been very business-like, which I like. It's like, it's, like, when we're done, leave. Like, I don't want you to stay here. I want you to leave me alone. <laughs> you know, sometimes a high five is shared, and then I send them on their way, <laughs> which is what I'm aiming for at the moment. But you don't see that in romance. I There are heroines who, you know, maybe they're an escort for their job or, or whatever. Um, but... I was thinking of, I think it was the master where the heroine signs up to be an escort to pay her bills because that's what usually happens. And of course, it's her first time being an escort. So it's like her first client. So, you know, she's not a she's highly not sexed woman. <laughs> actually a sex worker. Yes. I have read very few romances that depict sex workers. Because or there's there's this who idea enjoy that enjoy doing that. Yes, there's this. Well, first of all, there's so much uh, built up that's negative. So much stigma surrounding sex work, and you know, if you do have people who are engaged in sex work in a rom- romance, there it's it's for some noble cause. Yeah, like their own education or to pay some bills or something. No one no one voluntarily does sex work because they're good at it. It makes a lot of money and they're, they're owning their agency in that way. I would love to see a heroine who, you know, is likes having sex and is open to talking about it and, you know, gets it on the regular. And <laughs> like, I would just love that. And somehow, you know, she finds someone that she wants to be with, but you know, still she's leading her life and getting some when she needs it. And that's that. But usually the heroine has hit a dry spell or she's still a virgin. Or, or she's given up on limited. men. Given up on yeah. men because something bad happened and she's giving up on men. I mean, men are idiots. <laughs> Which is why I'm like, leave me alone. I'm only using you for one purpose. <laughs> now, I want to get back to the compartmentalizing of intimacy, but I, I just have to say, I know someone who had a bad experience with a person and has decided that no women are to be trusted. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? That person already had that point of view about women before this bad experience happened, because I just cannot accept that every other female who has ever been kind to this person doesn't count in the face of this one person who did something cruel. Oh, no. Shit, that but, person just totally confirmed his misogyny. Yes, definitely. I mean, whether or not he realizes that we're all cruel, cold-blooded lizard people. But I mean, I us. am. I, I am regularly. <laughs> I'm from Florida, so I definitely am. Of course you are. <laughs> so you've compartmentalized sex and intimacy into yes. a very convenient uh, option where if you would like to have sex, 
that's a thing that happens and then it's over and you can go do your other things. It's not something that has to be built on a relationship. It's like a chore that, you know, like I tick off my to-do list. But it's a nice chore. It's a, it can be a very nice chore. <laughs> <laughs> How do you see the like your relationships in real life being affected or influenced by the romance that you read? Is this just a two sep- totally separate compartments? I would say uh, it didn't used to be. I I would describe myself as a serial monogamous. So I was definitely one of those people who had long-term relationships for a year or more. And then whatever would happen and we would break up. And, you know, you, romance has that fantasy to it where you mm-hmm. find your soulmate and, you know, the stars align and you feel all those nice fuzzy feelings and fireworks. And I don't like, yes, that's nice. And I would like that. And, that's great, but it got to a point where after my last relationship, you know, I don't, I didn't know if I wanted another relationship so soon. I was tired of getting into one serious relationship after another. I didn't have the typical college experience where I partied and, you know, I experimented and, you know, had one night stands. That was never part of my experience. Right. So I was like, well, shit, like, why not now? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so sometimes it would be nice to have that meet cute moment where you meet someone at a bookstore or on the tee. I have a friend who just got engaged and she met her fiance at a bus stop. And he drew her a picture of the bus stop where they met and it's framed in her apartment and they're the cutest couple. So that sort of romancy thing exists. It does. It does. Um, But I've kind of, I wouldn't say you're immature if you think that exists, but I've matured to a point where I don't always equate sex with love, you know. And it's easier, it's, it's easier for you to separate the emotional connection and the sexual connection into separate things. Yeah, it's definitely helpful if I have a great conversation and a great rapport with the person and not all the time, like I will go out and sometimes it doesn't lead to anything we just have a nice time and that's it right I went out for coffee with a guy who was in Boston for a wedding and he was on his way out to drive home back to Baltimore and we got coffee for 30 minutes and then he left like nothing else was happened right um but it's I don't know it's very strange I guess but if I don't have a good conversation like if there's not that interest there I probably wouldn't sleep with them aside from the Republican which is a whole different deal (laughs) so what's the so this is something you do you nickname the people that you have tender conversations with I do I do nickname them um so it's almost like making them characters yeah it is they have a certain set of traits and that's usually where the nickname comes from or it might come from their job it just helps I'm not saying that I'm sleeping with hundreds of people, but it helps me keep them straight because sometimes they'll have the same name as someone else. There are a lot of dudes like named Josh and Michael in Boston. <laughs> um, so you know, this is a generational thing. There's a lot of Joshes and Michaels for you. For me, it was Matthew, Sean, and then Jennifer and Sarah. Like there, there were four Sarahs in yeah. my class. There were eight Amandas in my PE class. Yeah, sure. It's a generational thing. It's horrible. So you nickname people. I do. Um, 
and you've helped a lot of the smart bitches have helped me come up with some names. Um, so there's the Republican and based on that name, I'm sure you can guess his political leanings. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I am a very liberal person. I was part of the like, feminist club in my undergrad. That was a very strange relationship arrangement. And then there's Fine Butt Brett. <laughs> so there's the Republican and Fine Butt Brett. I think he, Fine Butt Brett has the first nickname, I feel like. <laughs> I feel like he, he is the one who started it. And it's self-explanatory. He is one of the best butts I have ever seen on a man, ever. He could bounce several quarters off. <laughs> so for you, you have nicknames. They, you're almost making them into characters. Yeah, and that, that's probably also helps with the compartmentalizing a little bit. <laughs> right, because they are characters that exist in this one purpose. Yes. And so is it true for you that for, for, for at this time, for you in this particular setup, sex is easier than relationships? Oh, definitely. <laughs> and it's funny because, it's you know, as, as women, we're, we're informed that, you know, you're not supposed to have sex without a relationship. You're not supposed yeah. to have sex without it being meaningful. You, you can't just give it away. And in your perspective, sex is a lot easier to, na to navigate than relationships with people. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think of, like, Amy Schumer giving her speech for, I think it was like the glamour woman of the year. And she's like, I weigh 160 and I can catch a dick whenever I want. Like, <laughs> that's how I feel. Like, sex, I wouldn't say shouldn't be hard, but it, it isn't that difficult if you feel like it's something that's important to you. I'm a huge stress ball of a person and I feel like <laughs> sex is like a really good stress relief for me. Um, some people do yoga. I like to have sex and it's just really convenient. And I also grew up in a household where sex was never a taboo topic. My mom is very open. I remember that, um, we were cleaning out her bedroom. I was helping her and, you know, we're going through all of her shit that she had accumulated. And I'm like, Hey mom, where do you want me to put your sex swing? And, She's like, oh, just put it in the closet. Meanwhile, my dad is turning purple with how embarrassed he is. But <laughs> <laughs> like turning into a human grape. But I've just I think that's also has something to do with it. As I was never taught that it was a, a shameful thing or something that was So you were raised with a healthy perspective on sexuality to begin with. Oh yeah. I mean, I remember finding my mom's like weird joy of sex book from the 1970s and then just everyone is hairy and the illustrations are awful like everyone <laughs> has a beard in that book too yes like even all the, women. the men are bearded <laughs> very very bearded so it was just I don't know it was never I I grew up in Florida so our public school system isn't amazing and our, I, I think I had sex ed once and that was in fourth grade and never again so I was very thankful that my mom was open to talking about it and I you know sometimes after a pretty fun weekend I'll call my mom and brag about it and <laughs> she thinks it's hilarious so <laughs> she's that's always also, very proud of me that's that's the that's the type of relationship you have with your mom <laughs> she's proud when I get laid she's proud when I get tattooed she's like <laughs> the strangest mom <laughs> 
So. so not only do you have this 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 particular kind of relationship with your parent, but you have this outlook on sexuality that it is a natural thing to have desire and it's okay to go find desire in yeah. the area in which you would like. Definitely. And I would I would love to see that reflected in romance. It the genre is a very, you know, freeing read. Like, you know, people finding their sexual agency is great and you know they're having their sexual awakening but sometimes I would like characters to already have that awakening or that epiphany that hey sex is fun and it's enjoyable and I don't always have to have it with the one person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with and it's interesting the way in which the complete opposite set of sexual values is imposed on romance a lot of the time, I think, by readers. You'll hear a lot more about heroines who are uh, sexually liberated being unappealing. And that mm. if the hero sleeps with someone else during the course of the story, readers don't like that. And yeah, if, the, if the heroine sleeps with somebody else, whoa. I don't see. I don't I can't remember if I've read any like that. Not, nothing is sticking out to me Mm -hmm. but I don't I personally don't think I would be bothered but I can understand where it's coming from I know that referencing the master again even though the hero buys the heroine as an escort for the night he gets like really pissed off she tells him that it's it's her first night doing this and He's like, well, that's bullshit. You're just feeding me a line. And clearly you've been doing this with God knows how many men. And like, do you realize you you bought an escort whose job it is to sleep with other people? So it's... And the virginity, it's almost like virginity is both a fetish and a requirement in a lot of ways in in... in the, and then it's residually a requirement in the genre. Like, I am totally fine with women in books who have had sex with other people or are having sex with other people in the the course of the book. But there is still, there are some amazing pieces of acrobatic uh, (laughs) plot manipulation to create virginity for a heroine. I mean, if you want to see some serious gold medal Olympic class (laughs) (laughs) gymnastics, go look at Harlequin presents because there is, there are, there are, there are there are heroines who are virgins, and I just don't understand how it happened that way. <laughs> like there was one I was reading where the hero is horribly upset because he he thinks that his widowed stepmother, who was married to his father, is a horrible gold digger. And later on, in it's it's in the cover copy that she's got purity, <laughs> like of some sort. And I'm like, so she never banged him ever ever not even once so he she's she's pure for the hero and i'm like why 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 that's like that's why a is this waiting to happen why Ask is this happening purity oh my god i understand why virginity is i don't know attractive to a plot device like being the person's first like the only guy to have experienced this woman um but I feel like most of the time, the act of losing your virginity is a very unsexy process. <laughs> My first time was, I, like, it wasn't horrible, but I remember the setting. It was my high school boyfriend, and we were in his bedroom, and it was painted lime green. 
<laughs> like there were no rose petals or like soft silk sheets. A lime green bedroom surrounded by heavy metal posters. Ooh, that's hot. So I had like Metallica looking down on me. Like <laughs> why this was happening. And I also read a, a book recently, Come As You Are. It's nonfiction and it's about sexuality, especially for women. I would I'm recommending this book to everyone I know. And it talks about the myths of women's sexuality. And one of the chapters, they talk about the hymen, changed my life. And I actually brought this up on a Tinder date. And I think I made the guy uncomfortable talking about hymens over beers. (laughs) (laughs) But the act of, like, breaking through the hymen and how in romance, you know, there's blood on the sheets or there's some kind of signifier. And it's halfway up the valley. Yeah, we've, we've been over that. That... Usually when blood happens, that's not really from the hymen. Like, the hymen doesn't bleed. That it's mostly the girl's body isn't accustomed to this. And, you know, she's stretching or something is ripped, probably. So it's not from the hymen, (laughs) which I thought was crazy. Because this whole time you... as women, we expect there to be like, oh, there's going to be like a slight pinch of pain and there might be some blood. And neither of those happened for me personally. But so, I mean, that book is amazing. And it, reading romance novels and then reading this book, there's such a, a difference with what, <laughs> with how like authors romanticize certain sexual things and then like the actual biological processes behind it. One of the things that I love about the book A Lady Awakened by Cecilia Grant is that sex is present from the very beginning because the whole point of these two characters being together is that she is trying to get pregnant so that a horrible human being does not inherit her late husband's estate. I like I like the way she thinks. Right. And it's like a business thing. Well, it's very much a business thing. Basically, the setup of the book is this woman has become widowed. Her husband was, you know, an alcoholic who drank himself into a rather early death, who was not particularly a wonderful steward of his estate. And so she was in doing a lot of it. And when her husband dies, um, some of the servants explained to her that the person who stands to inherit, um, has never visited while she was there because her husband hated him. They didn't have children. And the person who inherits the last time he was there, he raped a housemaid. He, he's a horrible, horrible human being. And they're like, if, if he comes, we have to leave. It's not safe. Um, and this attorney says, you know, but we can't, we cannot move forward because, you know, um, you could you could be pregnant and the woman's like we haven't had sex in like five years so (laughs) no pretty sure i'm not and he's like no you could be pregnant and we need to make sure that there is no heir and she's like oh so i'm picturing him like doing the wink like you could be pregnant well he's very old and very uncomfortable (laughs) and it's like the most awkward conversation ever but the hero is this young man who's been sent to his family's estate nearby because he's just basically you know young he spends too much on a cravat and he buys expensive things that his dad has to pay for and his dad's pissed about it and he has to go and learn how to be a grown-up and so she approaches him and says all right here's the deal i want you to I want you to have sex with me every day for a month. We're going to take you up the back stairs, come to my bedroom, bang me, and we're done. Thanks very much. And he's like, 
Okay. You're going to pay <laughs> me to bang you? Like, seriously? Okay. Sign me up. I am here for this. But then eventually it becomes more difficult for him because she is looking at this as a completely passionless physical transaction to save the people who depend on her estate for their livelihoods. And he's like, this isn't fun. You're not into this. And she's like, why would I be into it? Like, why? I am here to get pregnant. I'm not here to enjoy this. And so he has to pretend to that, that she's responding. He has to imagine that she's responding. But what I love about the structure of that book is that sex isn't the tension. Intimacy is the tension. Sex is always there. They've, they're banging the whole time because they have to be for the construct of the plot. The intimacy is built on something else. And one of the reasons why I don't always enjoy erotic romance as a reader is because I am much more interested in emotional intimacy than physical intimacy. And a lot of times the way that an erotic romance is written, I think that the emotional intimacy follows right behind the sexual intimacy because they're connected, but the explanation of why they're connected isn't fully explained. And it's the explanation that I want. So like, just because he's got the biggest dick you've ever seen, he gives you great orgasms and you can't <laughs> stop thinking about him does not mean that you have an emotional connection. It means that you really like his, his dick. Yes. And so I, I want the emotional intimacy and I want to read about the emotional connection between two characters and sex does not have to be there for that to be present. I need sex in my books, so I don't think I could ever... Not have sex in your books? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Just When you have a romance heroine, um, it, it, it's almost as if the world of, for you, is almost as if the world of romance is pretty far removed from your real life. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Even though that's a thing. <laughs> definitely. I mean, we did a previous podcast on new adult, and I talked about a lot of my issues with new adult is it's a university college type setting, and a lot of the experiences that the heroine or hero has in this college setting don't mirror my own at all. Um, or, like, they might, but we might have had two different ways of dealing with it and it's just it's hard to I guess get into it when my experiences were almost the exact opposite of whatever they're going through my romance or my love life that I have now is definitely not reflected in anything that I've read so far um which is really strange I've had this has come up on dates before because you know we talk about what do you do for work and what are your hobbies mm -hmm. um and like I, I that's read, always a fun conversation I, I know like I read well it's in my tinder profile that I read books for a living that's what right. I do and they're like what how do you do that I, like, <laughs> I read books with lots of kissing and sex I read like I mainly read romance novels I could read whatever I want but this is usually what I steer myself towards and it does bring up a lot of interesting responses about how my dates see that, I guess. Um, the good responses are that they think that I am amazing in the sack because I read all these books as if I'm studying it and taking notes about <laughs> about what I can do in the bedroom. So they think that I'm I would be good at sex because I read romance novels. So mm -hmm. there's that. But then they also there's you know the crazy love obsessed woman stigma as well that I read about you know a woman finding her true love and spending the rest of her life with her soulmate 
and that there's no way that I could have like a casual attachment that as soon as we go out, I'm going to be picking out our baby names, which <laughs> never happens. Yeah. Like, don't think so highly of yourself, guy. Um, well, it's also, that's a message that, that, that is, uh, that is so pervasive. Women want respectability and want to deny men sex until they have achieved their goal. And men are supposed to try to get sex without giving women that goal, which is this connection, relationship, permanent attachment. Yes. It's like that song, um, Are You Gonna Stay the Night? It doesn't mean that we're stuck together for the rest of our lives. Just, <laughs> we can just, we could just bang. It gets fine. Yes, like, exactly. That is, a, that is still very much, in a lot of ways, especially in romance, a very new message. It's like, I'm sorry, guy. I, I just, I was overwhelmed by your gym selfie. And like, I <laughs> want to have your babies. baby in me immediately. Because <laughs> I want our kids to have your triceps. Like, it's, <laughs> it's like not, <laughs> it's not how it works. So have you met any guys on Tinder that are actually looking for relationships? Yes, actually. Um, so the governor, he was one that I. Not, okay, I, look, we need to clarify. <laughs> He's, he's not, not actually the governor of a state. He's not a governor, and it's not related to the horrible character in The Walking Dead. Okay. Um, he was just kind of tied to the political scene in Boston, but he's not in politics. But we we saw each other off and on for I think three months or so, and you know I would we didn't like have sex until like the fourth or fifth date, and he was very nice, uh, just a little boring for my taste. So there are people who are looking for relationships, definitely. Um, but there are people who are not, which is, I think it's skewed more towards people looking for something more casual or fun than something serious, though. I've met a few people who actually met their boyfriends or their girlfriends on Tinder, and they've been dating for months. So it's kind of what you make of it. And I'm sure a few of the people that I've gone out with I wouldn't mind kind of doing something regularly or doing something normal, like going to a movie or, or whatever. Cause when you them. meet someone with, when you meet someone in person after having talked with them on Tinder, presumption on both parts is on for, for both parties is that later on you're going to bang or you just Hopefully. meet to do so. Yeah. Or you just, yeah, you just cut out the middleman and don't even bother <laughs> going out for a drink. Um, but yeah, it happens. So I wouldn't say nine times out of ten I go into thinking that. You can kind of get a sense talking to them beforehand what they're looking for. And most of the times it And whether or not up. you have chemistry with them. Yeah, like sometimes you just don't and it's awful. Though I will say I have been pretty lucky and I haven't had a horrible Tinder experience yet. I've had some boring ones, but none of them have been... Like, like awful. Yeah, like... No, definitely not. No, everyone I've met has been pretty cool, actually. Well, so. if, the, if the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over <laughs> and expect the same results, then it seems to me that trying something new where you open up the possibility of connecting with new people, even if it's not for the purposes of a relationship, will yeah. absolutely introduce you to a larger group of people who you might never have encountered otherwise that allows you to meet people who may become your friend or your it's, friend with benefits or someone you can call and be like, Hey, you want to come over for an hour yeah. to quote unquote, <laughs> watch Netflix, Netflix and chill. 
Um, I I feel like someone needs to manipulate the Netflix logo so that it says something like "We'll fuck." <laughs> so if you look at it from one side, yeah, Netflix, different. let's bang. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned though that using Tinder has turned me kind of like into a yes woman where. I'm opening myself up to new experiences. Like, I, I hate horror movies, but I was out with a guy, and he was telling me about this horror movie that he heard about on NPR called It Follows. And he's like, it's actually playing in 45 minutes. We were out getting a drink. He's like, it's playing in 45 minutes at the theater. Do you want to go see it? Okay. And he's like, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. And So it makes, you, it makes you open to trying things that you if you thought about it for a while you'd probably tuck yourself out of yeah but in the moment you know having a good time sure let's do it why not (laughs) do you think that being on tinder and and I'm not asking this in a way that implies that you're I don't think you're deceiving anyone or you're being disingenuous (laughs) in any way at all like I want to make that clear but yeah when you're with somebody that you've met on tinder are you also to a certain extent creating a character for yourself I would say that I'm funnier online or on an that's app true of a I lot am. of people <laughs> I feel like that's how I don't know I have a way of I guess crafting my personalities but I I don't know I hope not but well okay so I had a guy over last Thursday I think thir- if I'm keeping my days straight Thursday um this was this was tall balls <laughs> I think, um, so there's nothing wrong with his stuff, by the way, listeners. He's just very tall. Right. And he works in an industry that deals with sports. So, and he was a men's volleyball player. So, tall balls. Um, Tall balls. Okay. That's a perfectly acceptable name. Um, Yeah, he's like 6'4". Dude, you could climb him like a tree. And I did. Yay! But he came over and we talked for like an hour and a half, maybe. And he was laughing at all of my jokes. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm actually pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) In person. In person. So there's always that fear that as charming and winsome as I am on Tinder, it won't translate in person. But you're still being a part of yourself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I still tell the same stupid jokes. I still curse like a sailor. Like, I don't try to temper my personality or or anything like that. But I definitely think that I, I am a little funnier and more charming <laughs> when I'm not face-to-face with someone. Oh, I think that's true. Because it takes that pressure off. Yeah, I think that's true of a lot of people because – when you're physically standing in the same space as someone, that can be very anxiety-filled um, for people. Yes. Like being in the presence of another person can be very overstimulating and very disorienting for people, let alone standing in a crowd of a few dozen or a few hundred people. Like I hate crowds. I can't I hear the people I'm talking to. I can't see the exit. All I can think of is, God, can I go home and not wear shoes? <laughs> Maybe not a bra either. Like this, this sucks. <laughs> um, and I and I don't like parties and I don't like large gatherings. So, you know, that would make me anxious and supremely not funny. But <laughs> online, I don't have to deal with that stimulation at all. I can just talk. You know. I think my main concern is more of like a physical level, 
Because on any online profile, you want to pick the most flattering fucking pictures that you have. <laughs> uh, yeah, you take that selfie like 12 or 13 times. Yeah. But it's you also... You make sure you get your angles right. You right. know what your best lighting is. But you also want to pick out the image that you feel best represents you. Yeah. So because... I have one in like, you know, me double fisting a couple drinks. Yeah. So that's accurate. I. Like another one, me at a sports game, which is accurate. Um, but they're all well taken, well crafted photos. But I also put in my profile that like I'm five feet tall. So if you're looking at my pictures and you're thinking that I'm going to be some leggy brunette, nope. you are SOL. <laughs> I'm short as shit. So it's oh, that's my main fear, I suppose, is. I could be very charming in terms of conversa- conversation and personality, but when it comes to meeting someone, I maybe physically I could be a disappointment or not what they're expecting. <laughs> that being said, it has yet to pose a problem <laughs> with my results at the end of the night. And, and, in, so, in, and in the Tinder context, you are presenting your actual self, just the best version of your actual self. Yes, the hopefully the most desirable version of myself. So when you sign on to Tinder, is there something that you're looking for? Does it have anything to do with the heroes that you like to read about? Or are those two really separate worlds that don't overlap at all? Um, yes and no. Um, I'm into the, the lumber sexual look. So bearded, definitely a little broad in the shoulders. Looks like someone could just hurl a tree trunk Or rip a tree trunk in half. (laughs) Yes. Like, I enjoy that look as well. Um, But I also like, you know, the tattooed sort of looking guys. Um, And I like blue collar heroes. Like, one of my catnips is kind of, this is going to sound like I'm totally inserting myself into the romance. But I love the type A workaholic heroine and kind of like the blue collar works with his hands (laughs) hero. Cool. Like, I would, personally, I would love to find a guy who is just like a mountain man and works with his hands and, you know, likes being outdoors, even though that's not really, doesn't overlap with what I do for a living or or Mm -hmm. anything like that. So it varies, but, you know, I'm an equal opportunity appreciator of men, so I'm not going to limit myself (laughs) to, I guess, just one subset. And then I I found that sometimes the guys that I find to be really attractive and really pretty are dumb as a box of rocks. And I can't. Like, if there's a spelling mistake in your profile or you can't string together a sentence with proper grammar and punctuation, I am not... You're not interested. Yeah, because I'm not... I'm not emotionally stimulated to carry on a conversation with you. Right. So it's not just, hey, you're pretty, let's bang. There are other things at work in creating the connection that you're looking for. Yes. Even though if it's not like a love connection, there's definitely, there has to be some kind of conversational connection first. So are there books that have you've read that have all touched near this, the experience that you have? Or do you, are you just sort of used to these are very separate worlds? And it's interesting that this one depiction of women is so different from the, from the life that I am leading. But they're separate and that's just how it is. Does, romance, me, does, does romance as a genre seem 
the, the sexual politics of romance, do they seem sort of out of touch with your reality or, or old fashioned given how, given your perspective? I would say yes. Romance has this weird way of being uh, very progressive in some ways, but also very backwards in some ways. Yes, I feel like. yes, yes, <laughs> yes, it does. For, so my experiences have yet to be mirrored, or, or even my viewpoints on sex as a woman in the 21st century has yet to be mirrored in a romance that I've read yet. Um, so writers, authors, you want to do me a solid and get on that? <laughs> um, and yet I can, I can hear authors saying, if I wrote a heroine who had the attitude towards sex that you do, <laughs> it would never get published. Or if it was published, it would reach an audience, many of whom would be like, I didn't like her. She was unreadable. She was a slut. I would be the only buyer of your book. <laughs> I don't think you'd be the only one, no. But I think the audience would struggle with a heroine who was as cognizant and possessing of her own sexual agency. Which is so, it, sometimes it just boggles my mind. I don't know, romance is full of badass ladies, characters, readers, authors. Yep. But there's, I mean, everyone has different attitudes and opinions on sex. I'm not saying that mine is the one that everyone should have. No, it's um, the one that works for you. But, but I would just like the, to go see ahead. it reflected. Like everyone would like to see certain things about themselves reflected in romance. I just haven't seen this aspect of my personal identity reflected so far. I, I also think that in a lot of ways, the idea of there being a one with whom you are going to live happily ever after, or there is a person who is your most best partner at this in, in the context of this book there's a person for that person right mm -hmm. virginity is high, highly highly linked to that there has to be something that sets them apart you know so that that's that specialness is often includes sexuality like oh my god you're the only person who makes me orgasm with penetrative sex and oh which my is gosh. stupid because that i mean <laughs> <laughs> please tell me how you feel about that it seems like you're a little ambivalent I'm, it goes for most women that it's hard for most women to ha orgasm from penetrative sex. It's <laughs> it is so difficult. And so I get like a little salty about it when a heroine like has four orgasms in a row from penetrative sex. And like this doesn't happen. Like <laughs> this, I mean, most of the time, like it's really, really hard for women to get off from just standard D in the P action. Like, <laughs> it just makes me so angry. But <laughs> I get that's part of the whole, you're the one because clearly you're the only one who can give me an orgasm from standard sex and you don't have to do anything there extra. Are, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of tangents in that motif that bug the hell out of me, like the guy who can magically magically detect that a person is a natural submissive and that the yeah. reason they're not sexually satisfied is because they haven't had him introduce them into this world. Yeah, no. Mm -mm. <laughs> right, because he knows her body. The idea, in, and this, this is very true for me as a reader, the idea that the hero knows the heroine's body more than she does on some magical, intimate, telekinetic level bugs the hell out of me. Yeah. Now, well, on one hand, it worked for me really well in 
For example, um, The Year We Fell Down by Serena Bowen, the heroine is uh, paraplegic and the hero is focused on her having the confidence to try sex after she's lost feeling from her, like from her hips down. And he even does research about it. And then, you know, he buys her a vibrator. Like he does research about it because he's convinced that she's shutting off a part of herself and he wants to help her, but it's not like, all right, just hold still. I know what to do. Yeah. Any, any hero that does research is. That's hot. Yes. It's very, very hot. And I think it was in the deal by L Kennedy. The, so this is one of the few new adult books that has rape as a backstory that I really, really enjoyed um, because the heroine has kind of come to terms with it. And when she tells the hero, he's obviously pissed off and hurt and how could this happen to her? And she's just like, dude, calm down. Like, this is something that I've come to terms with. It's It happened. We're just going to have to deal with it. Like, <laughs> um, but she has a problem having sex because of her trauma. So instead of kind of you know, the hero being like, well, I know what you need. Let's just like take it slow or it'll be different with me sort mm-hmm. of thing. I know what he, to do. I know exactly yeah. how to talk to your body. He kind of like eases her into being sexual again by like starting. I think they, if I remember correctly, they like masturbate. So I was like, this is kind of cool. Like the way that they're kind of adapting their sex life to accommodate for this until she feels more comfortable having regular sex again. Right. And I think for a lot of people, part of the fantasy is that this guy will know everything. This guy knows everything and you don't have to do anything to, to achieve satisfaction and happiness with this person. No, I repeat guys are idiots. (laughs) So how much of the lead do you take when you hook up with somebody? Like, are you pretty vocal about, hey, no, 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 that doesn't work. Try this. No, I'm usually pretty vocal. Like, I'll tell them what positions I prefer. Like, if something's not working for me, I I will usually let them know. Has anyone been bothered that by that? No. I had a boyfriend, actually, who was bothered by that. Really? Who didn't yeah. like that you spoke up about what you wanted? Yeah, he didn't. This might be TMI for everyone, but I have no shame at all. Um, clearly (laughs) he didn't like me on top. He didn't like me in like a power position, I guess. He was very bothered by that. We can never have sex that way. That was a no, no. (laughs) Um, so any sort of me taking control and I'm not, I wouldn't say like I'm a, the dominant or the aggressor in the bedroom usually, but any sort of position that put me in a more powerful position or where I can control things more like the speed or the pace. He was not, not about that at all. That's Um, really odd. Yeah. And very unfortunate. Yeah. He's going to have a boring sex life. (laughs) Um, But so far the people that I've seen or whatever are pretty into it. I mean, no one's complained. <laughs> so so no one that you have met is operating with the same perspective that, you know, he should know everything and, and, and should not be open to taking any instruction. No, not at all. And I've had some 
guys who were like, hey, why don't we try this? I'm like, that's a good idea. Like, it's like a great brainstorming session. <laughs> like I said, I haven't had a bad experience, actually. And the people sometimes, you know, the sex is boring and then I never have to see them again. So yep. <laughs> that's the benefit of it. Like, we just go our separate ways and we never talk to each other. And Boston's big enough that you'd probably you never won't run, run into, into them, them anyway. Ever again anyway. So you mentioned that, you know, there's some ways in which romance is really progressive and there's some ways in which romance is very, very not. But you also said um, to me that you've learned all sorts of sexual things from reading romance. Oh, yeah. So that has informed (laughs) in a positive way. Definitely. I mean, there it's not like I keep a running list where I write notes like, oh, yep, going to try that. You don't don't name the technique after the book you read it in? (laughs) No. This is the passion's flower. Hold still. (laughs) There's just some cool things that happen in in romance. I'm like, yeah, I would try that. But then there are some things that's like, well, that's going on my definite no list. (laughs) I remember... So I read Finding Master Right. I love BDSM erotica. Um, I'm always looking for new authors. And I just, I think it's kind of interesting how certain authors approach that community, whether it's good or bad or or whatever. Um, But in that book, the heroine is curious about the community. She doesn't know anything about it. So her friend who is into BDSM is kind of trying to play matchmaker Mm-hmm. to help her find someone who can teach her some things. Not necessarily give her, like, a dom, but to find someone who could ease her into it and teach her the the language and how to conduct herself and whether this is something she truly wants to explore. Right. And the hero is not someone who's like, oh, she's clearly a submissive, which I appreciated. But I can't remember the name of the term for this, and I kicking myself that I can't but she I think she either texts him or calls him at work and she's like what does this mean and he kind of loses it a little bit like he laughs at her because what the actual thing is is you take a ginger root oh god and you peel it so this was in 50 shades he wanted to envision her with a peeled ginger root in her ass yes exactly because it stings or something um, I can't remember the name of it. I want to say it starts with an F, but I was like, that's something that I will never want to do ever. So, <laughs> but it's just like those weird things that you read about in romance. That would be called figging. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So wait, this just, just changed my entire perception of figgy pudding. <laughs> so when someone is singing a Christmas carol about bring me some figgy pudding, say that no. could mean just... something entirely different. Just hard pass on the figgy pudding. Yeah, we should not be bringing any figgy pudding. (laughs) So, I mean, you'll read about stuff, especially in erotica. Some weird stuff happens (laughs) in the bedroom. Um, But, you know, you just cross that off the list. And I think reading romance and reading books that have sex in them and how sometimes sex is integral to the intimacy and the the progression of the hero and heroine as a couple mm-hmm. has made me more open about sex as well as you know having a mother who has no shame <laughs> whatsoever even if it's just not certain sex acts it's made me more progressive and open in 
thinking about sex and talking about it and how I view it as a woman, even though sometimes the messages of romance and women's sexuality can be counterproductive to a woman's sexual agency. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. (laughs) And, and, you know, romance itself allows readers to explore a lot of different kinds of intimacy in the privacy of their own imagination. So you can be like, whoa, I really like that idea. Hmm. I'll do some research and then I'll pin it, pin it to your Pinterest board. Yeah. (laughs) Can you pin things inside Tinder? (laughs) I wish. (laughs) Is there, is there anything that you do differently because you read romance? Romance is all about miscommunication. (laughs) Yes. These people cannot talk to each other. So just seeing the sorts of shit shows that go down when you're not vocal about anything in a relationship, whether it's sexual or, or whatever, I kind of try to not miscommunicate with my partners, whether they're sexual or romantic. Mm-hmm. Um, I have developed like a personal mantra that life is too short for bad sex. I think that is a very good <laughs> mantra. So if you're having bad sex or if it's going badly, you should probably communicate with mm-hmm. whoever you're sleeping with. Yes. Um, so it's made me way more open. When I think of the kind of sex I was having in my relationships, it's much different than the sex that I'm having now as a 26-year-old woman. Because you are more confident and aware of how yes. You, how you work. Yes, exactly. And I would definitely attribute that to reading romance and probably erotica. I didn't start reading lots of erotica until about two or three years ago. Before that, it was mostly like paranormals and historicals. Which so could be pretty erotic. They can be. I mean, if you're reading Anita Blake, but then things just get real weird. In a hurry. <laughs> yes. <Get> and <laughs> real weird in a hurry. <laughs> And my sex life has not gotten that weird. So you don't have the ardor? Yet. (laughs) The ardor? No. God, no. I would be so tired all the time. (laughs) I'm already really tired. (laughs) And listeners, you know, you probably know more about me than (laughs) most people, than maybe my roommates at this point. (laughs) Do you use your real name on Tinder or are you like an under... No, I well, it's just your first name. Just so your it'll first say name. Like Amanda, and then my age. Right. So like Amanda, twenty six, and then you know whatever you write in your little profile. That ladies love vascular men. I do. I do love. You know that little vine, not vine, the vein in the bicep. Oh, so good. <laughs> I mentioned that, and that actually brings up a lot of conversation. Like. I get lots of messages like, hey, I have that bicep vein. It's like, oh, do you? Okay. <laughs> what else do you have? Because that's not the only requirement, but I'm oh curious. <laughs> well, usually the dudes have a shirtless pick somewhere in there. So well, you can kind of see what you're working with ahead of time. Yeah. But it's weird because I'm one of those people where if I want something and I like something. You're going to go get it. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I'm super, super into you. It just means that. I would like to have some sex now, please. Like, right. Very like business-like, which is usually how I prefer it at the moment. Right. Which, which I can see a lot of people listening going, oh, no, that wouldn't work for me. Uh, that wouldn't work. And I'm like, yeah, I can see why that would be helpful. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm at the point where I'm in my life where I like to read, eat, and sleep, and then have some sex and then be left alone. Like, I don't want the person I'm having sex with to interfere with my mm. reading, eating, and sleeping. No, like, we're done now. I'm going to go read. Thanks, bye. <laughs> yeah, essentially. That's how it And that is all for this week's podcast. I want to thank Amanda for hanging out with me and being so incredibly candid. If you have ideas or feedback or questions or you want to find out more about that fine Tinder thing or maybe the figgy pudding, you can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. This podcast was brought to you by New American Library, publisher of Misconduct, the sexy new contemporary romance by New York Times bestselling author Penelope Douglas. On sale now. The podcast transcript this month sponsored by Renee Adie, author of The Wrath and the Dawn, published by G.P. Putnam Sons, books for young readers, available in print and ebook. This sumptuous and enthralling retelling of A Thousand and One Nights will transport you to a land of golden sand and forbidden romance. She came for revenge, but will she stay for love? The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. She is online at Sassy Outwater on Twitter. This album is a Deste Fiddles from Deviations Project. This is Here We Come a Wassling. I have no idea if wassling and figgy pudding are related. I assume that they know each other. You can find this album on Amazon or iTunes or wherever you like to buy your music. Future podcasts will include me, possibly many other people, talking about romance novels because that's what we do here. But in the meantime, on behalf of Amanda and Jane and myself, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend. <laughs>